You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Hamish Hodder's down in Melbourne, as always. Join me. What is going on, my friend? What's going on? Uh, not much. Uh, it's uh, another week in Melbourne. We had uh, we had the Australian Open finish up over the weekend here in in Melbourne, which I'm sure a lot of Australians, uh, a lot of people around the world, I'm sure were tuning into. I guess it's Australia. Yeah. The Australian Open is kind of a difficult one for most places, other than Australia, to tune into. Kind of like how we, Always, in terms yeah. of time zone, because it's difficult for us to watch Wimbledon, even the French Open, and then the U.S. Open. They're all kind of at odd times. Um, because yep. we, we're just we're just in such a weird time zone. But yeah, hopefully some people time zones, eh? Bloody time zones. Yeah. Wouldn't it just be convenient Always. if we were all just everyone around the world was on the same time zone? You know? Yeah. You know what? We you know just what? line everybody up. Everybody has to live in the in the same time zone. Yeah. <laughs> or we could just have our time zone, and everyone just has to abide by it. So they have to like wake up in the night, mm. yeah, and they just have to go to sleep during the day. Um, I like that just, idea. Just to conform to our time zone. I think that would be the most logical thing for everyone to do. Yeah. I've done a couple of interviews or, or, or meetings with people in America that have been at pretty gnarly times. Yeah. It's always <laughs> like yeah. very, very late at night or, or very early in the morning. Yeah. yeah. We've probably done a few podcasts like that over over the years. Yeah. It's always, yeah. US is always like one person's at like 8 a.m. and one's at 8 p.m. or something like that. Or maybe that's Yeah, it. yeah, it's, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it's uh, it's difficult. But how's uh, how's Canberra? Uh, how's Canberra treating you? Yeah, Canberra's good. Canberra's, yeah, Canberra's treating me well. You know, I do like it here. Everyone hates on Canberra, but it's 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 a good place to live. Um, but no, no news, no news of uh, of any interest. I'll be in Melbourne this weekend, so we, we're going to hang out on yeah. Saturday, right? Yeah, you're coming to visit yeah, me just to just to talk about our personal life in the middle <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so we'll meet you in the city. Do you want to meet on the corner at we'll uh, do- eight pm? Yeah, so PM on Saturday night. Yeah, so yeah exactly right. You're going to be getting the seven no. sixteen, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah is plans. that is that the address? Yeah, yeah. Reservation under Hamish Hodder. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, we'll go on a nice little dinner date or something. Yeah, have a couple of have have a couple of wines and uh, and look longingly into couple each of, other's eyes. Couple of couple of orange juices. Do. Yeah. A couple of orange juices. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. What the hell are we talking about yeah, today? Yeah, we've- uh, Oh, Meta. I, I didn't see Meta earnings. They came out this morning, didn't they? Yes. So, we've got Meta this morning. I'm going in blind. Sometimes we get Meta and Alphabet, but we didn't have that. So, I can't do the side-by-side, unfortunately. But we'll do Meta today and the next week yep. we'll do Alphabet, which comes out tomorrow for us recording this, although it will already have been out. Um, but yeah, interesting uh, earnings report. Definitely mixed. And the stock was up a lot, so investors were happy about it. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll definitely be interested to go through that. We've got the Fed uh, meeting happened overnight, which where they announced their uh, their latest rate hike. So that'll be interesting. What have you got for us? Mm. I'm going to talk about. Uh, well, I actually kind of saw this news story, didn't really look into it too much, and then I saw a video today by Richard from the Plain Bagel <clears throat> uh, talking about uh, all the Adani. Um, stuff that's going on right now, and I found it really interesting. So I had a, I, I watched his video and I had a bit of a look into it. So I'm going to talk about what's going on with the the Adani Group because there are some very big uh, accusations, allegations uh, around that or that collection of companies. So we'll talk about what's going on there because that is that is wild. What's going on there? Um, Trump, he is being allowed back on Facebook and Instagram. So we might talk about that. Uh, Eurozone inflation as well. Um, We'll talk about that just quickly uh, at the end. And then hopefully, I hope we can get to more Q&A questions today. I do hope because I feel like we haven't done a a solid block of Q&A in in quite a while. Yeah. Building up. So we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll uh, we'll try and sneak a few in. Easy. 
Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades either automatically by connecting your broker, uh, or you can use, download them using Excel or do them one by one. And when you do that, it will track all the gains and losses in your portfolio. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans on your ETFs or individual stocks, it will do those calculations for you. Uh, it tracks currency gains if you're buying shares internationally or hold foreign currencies. I've mentioned this a bit, but that's a big one at the moment. If you're Australian buying stocks in the US or you're an American buying stocks in Europe or, or whatever it is, uh, there's been a big fluctuations and uh, between currencies, and that's likely to continue with a lot of uh, central bank policy being changed in, in Europe, in the UK, in the US, in Australia. So being able to track currency gain is a massive one. It's a massive kind of uh, unseen cost or gain uh, in your portfolio. Uh, and then you can also use ShareSite for when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as capital gains, dividend income, uh, the diversity of your portfolio, and a bunch more. Uh, and at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link. You can sign up to a free plan and you can track up to 10 holdings, stocks, ETFs, bonds, that kind of thing for as long as you want. So it's a free plan. Go check it out if you're interested. Uh, but if you want to sign up to more features, more reporting, uh, and you can also benchmark against the S&P 500 and that sort of thing, uh, then you can sign up to a more premium plan using that link and you'll get four months off an annual subscription. Uh, so go check it out, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. And as always, thank you to everyone who has signed up using that link and is supporting the podcast. Woo. Hamish, right. where do we start? I think, um, I, honestly, I want to hear this Adani thing because the only thing I know okay. about Adani is that I always see the Greens party is really upset. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's, that's well, if, <laughs> yeah, if you're an Australian, you probably do know, and you probably do know a lot about Adani because there is a lot of um, uh, activism, uh, activist pressure against Adani because um, he's, I don't know if they got it through or whether it's still being figured out he wants to open like a massive massive coal mine in queensland i think right and uh a lot of australians are very much opposed to this because of climate change you know um there's a lot there's a there's a lot of different aspects to that indigenous land that kind of thing um as well so there, there's a lot of problems with that so but australians might know who gautam adani is but i think a lot of people maybe in the in the us or even in the uk maybe have never even heard of him but he's um i think he's asia's richest man i think uh really? okay. this is i by the way i got a lot of, i do have to say massive shout out to richard coffin from the plain bagel uh, a lot of this info was sourced from his video um, so it was apparently last year he was saying that Adani, Gautam Adani was uh, briefly richer than Jeff Bezos. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. So obviously not now with all the stuff that's been going down. Um, but essentially Adani is, uh, is a collection of, I think, seven publicly traded businesses and they're what they do is they do it's, it's diversified obviously seven different businesses this big um this big group that mainly deals in transport logistics uh energy so gas coal etc um airports they're dabbling in airports now since 2019 um they have a cement uh, uh company as well so uh, they're a group Fine. but generally speaking they're mainly to do with uh energy so they that's, okay so that's they're, that's what, they're like a massive diversified business um, not just yeah, yeah. Not the Adani, just Adani Group, and then within the Adani Group, there's seven publicly traded companies. Yeah, I think. Okay, interesting. Um, but anyway, so what happened was on the 24th of January, there was this this investment firm called Hindenburg Research sent out a tweet saying, "Soon we will release a report on what we strongly suspect to be the largest corporate fraud in history." And they just tweeted that out and the tweet just popped. Now, before I go any further, I do just want to say that Hindenburg Research is an investment research firm with a focus on activist short selling uh, founded in 2017. So, beware that these guys are activist short sellers. So, when they release a report, note that they are probably quite short. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, on the 24th of January... Later that uh, later that day, they did release their report on the Adani Group, and it was um, basically just this massively long report, which went through example by example, 
And it just accuses Adani of massive just fraud, just stock price manipulation, earnings manipulation, um, just fraud. And it's pretty crazy because they draw on some very big examples. Um, And so the report was broken down into a lot of different parts. So the first part um, was talking about how offshore funds and shell companies – and they actually own these com- offshore companies own a significant stake in Adani, and then that relationship just isn't publicly disclosed at all. Mm. So these offshore shell companies, that none of this is disclosed, and they these offshore shell companies have like some of them eighty nine percent all the way up to a hundred percent of their assets just invested in Adani's companies, and just none of this is disclosed. Mm. Um, and the problem is that these companies actually make up within these seven publicly traded companies, they make up like between 30 and 47% of the trading volume of wow. these companies. Oh yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. I wonder who seems... owns those offshore accounts. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, that's the, so that's the only thing they do. That's all their assets yeah, are that's, just that's a stake in Adani. But they make up between like 30% upwards of 47% of the trading volume of these companies. Yeah, that seems It just odd. seems not right. It just seems not right. Um, mm. So there's obviously a lot of questions then being raised about stock manipulation because that just seems bizarre. Like why is there so much trading volume from these companies that seem to just own Adani? Anyway, Um but it is kind of fitting because basically the whole Adani family, it's one of these companies where like your brother's the CFO, your uncle's uh-huh. the COO. You, it's one of those kind of things. All the Adanis are in there. Uh, but the whole family has been accused of and investigated for fraud many times in the past. So it's not like, they have the greatest it's not like track this is record. groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's not like this is revolutionary. Um, do, 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 do. The report also accuses Adani of using offshore entities to move money in and out of Adani to control its earnings. Oh. So this was a very in- this is probably the most interesting part of the report. So I think it's his brother Vinod Vinod Adani. Is Gautam Adani Vinod? Anyway, his brother uh, owns thirty eight of these Mauritius um, shell companies. Um that move money in and out of Adani Enterprises. <laughs> just, it's, like, like, mm. it's like, come on, at least at least try a little harder than that. <laughs> yeah, gee, that doesn't sound great. It doesn't sound no, so, very legal. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And I want to say that obviously I'm I'm not a lawyer, so maybe and sometimes there are these weird kind of tax dodge kind of tactics that somehow just turn out to be legal. But I'm pretty confident that this sounds pretty pretty dodgy. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's that's obviously where the allegations of earnings manipulation come in because they're just shoveling money in and out as they need to. Yeah. Um, there was also discussion in the report that, quote, numerous government institutions indicate that a key source of Adani Group's early cash inflows stem from misappropriation of taxpayer funds, siphoning from listed companies, and corruption. So it goes on. And by the way, these are kind of like just key points. And then after that, they have like lots of different examples of various scandals to kind of support the support the evidence. Right. Um, and what... Else, yeah, they talk about how there was a like a severe lack of institutional interest in covering Adani, which was interesting. Um, there's like no institutional analysts at all that cover these companies. That it just looks like they they're just not going there. They just, <laughs> they just don't want to. Um, touch and there was just a yeah, they just don't want to touch it. And there's just a lot of examples of uh, of just really questionable situations of like past situations. So maybe not right now, but past situations where their accounting has just been very very. Creative, I guess. Creative. <laughs> um, yeah. So they put out this report, this short seller report, because they are short sellers. And um, they asked Adani, I think, 88 questions at the end of the report that they wanted a response to. And yeah. Adani Group did reply, actually. They took the time to reply with a 413-page monster. <laughs> <laughs> 
And as you can expect, it's basically just like drowning in legal documents of this is the court, you know, we've been here, we did this document, we, you know, it's all above board, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, uh, da, da, da. Uh, yeah, I said, I wrote here as a, as, as a note to myself. It's funny that because in the massively long report, they kind of um, do trip over themselves, Adani, a little bit and kind of confirm that a lot of what Hindenburg Research was talking about is actually like kind of correct. Oh, really? <laughs> Which, like, I always, I, I, kind of, I kind of find funny. Like they don't intentionally do that, but they kind of just trip over themselves a little bit and just confirm that some of this stuff is is not uh, is not false. Um, to which Hindenburg, you know, then put out another report saying basically like, yep, okay, yep, we gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that's kind of where that's kind of where the story stops at the moment. But interestingly, in other news, just in the last couple of days, Adani has. Uh, oh, I should I should say sorry before I say that I should say. So what the hell happened to all of these Adani companies after this report came out? Well, there's six or seven publicly traded companies. Adani Enterprises dropped 50%. Adani Ports dropped 37%. Adani Green Energy dropped 39%. Adani Total Gas dropped 51%. Adani Transmission dropped 35%. And Adani Power dropped 20%. Wow. So this report has clearly worked for Hindenburg. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they've uh, they've they've definitely made a lot yeah. of money, <laughs> at least regardless yeah. of whether it's true or not. That short selling firm is uh has done pretty well. So that's crazy. Um, what that's yeah. that's actually a crazy uh, reaction. Yeah, I do find it funny the four hundred page um document. Yeah, just drown them in drown them in uh in as much paperwork as possible and hope that people don't read it. <laughs> it's like their strategy. Yeah, basically. Uh, it's like the the the. But it went so stupid, their response, that, like, they kind of accused Hindenburg of, like, racism and, like, not liking not yeah, liking Adani because they're Indian kind of thing. <laughs> okay. to, I think in, in their response, in Hindenburg's response, they actually put in a line, like, being, saying that we actually really like India, by the way, and we think it's a thriving economy and it's going to be a great superpower in the future. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, the fact that that's even in there is hilarious. Um, that's crazy. But yeah, so that's what happened to all these companies. So as you can imagine, poor Gautam, he's, uh, he's taken a little, he's had a little haircut. Um, and the most recent news is that unfortunately for Adani, they've now called off their $2.5 billion share sale <laughs> after the decimation of their stock price. <laughs> they say, quote, today the market has been unprecedented and our stock price has fluctuated over the course of the day. Given these extraordinary circumstances, the company's board felt that going ahead with the issue would not be morally correct. Right, okay. <laughs> in the next line, don't worry, so we've got 13 shell companies working on it. We'll get it right back up in no time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it right back up. <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry, guys. Don't worry. Just give us just give us a couple weeks. We'll we'll we'll, we'll pump it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of funny. Um, our balance, they say, quote, our balance sheet is very healthy with strong cash flows and secure assets, and we have an impeccable track record of servicing our debt. This decision will not have any impact on our existing operations and future plans, um, which is kind of funny because I think a lot of their um, a lot of their companies actually produce negative cash flow. So I don't know where they got that from, but mm. anyway, and that's kind of where where we stand at the moment. So um, I guess right. more to come. We shall see. Yeah. So there's been no kind but of it legal does look investigation or anything like that. I guess. Oh no 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 not yet. I think there will be. There, mm. I think there will be, but not yet. <clears throat> so if you're interested, it's actually quite interesting. I mean, I really just don't like the Adani Group. Full stop. Mm. Um, I do think like. I, I do think that they do a lot of, and there, there have been past examples of fraud and past examples of manipulate and also like past examples of intimidation, like business intimidation, which I don't really like. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of their group, but I would encourage you guys do, do obviously remember that these guys are short sellers, but if you type in Hindenburg research and type in Adani, you can just read through their report on the Adani group. If that's something of interest to you. Hmm. Yeah. Anything no, to add there? Or you no, no, that'll be on? interesting. I'll have to. Um, I'll have to watch um, uh, uh, the Plain Bagels um, new video because he's yeah. He always he always covers so these different kind of events, whether it's the Archigos collapse or the Chinese property market or whatever it is. Uh, he always gives like a really good like it's a good financial explanation, but also breaks it down um, in an easy to understand way as well. So 
Yeah, I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, I love Richard. Richard's great. He's so good. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. He's just one of the genuine good guys in in the finance space on YouTube. Yeah, I'm so glad like, to see his channel. Just so refreshing. Explode. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, you genuinely feel good for the guy. Yeah, mm. he's one of the few also that work in the industry. That actually, he works as a financial analyst. Yeah, for a, for an invest, investment firm yep. in Canada. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, he's he's very good. He knows what he's talking about. That's why I love him. He just he breaks it down so is so well, and he just knows what he's talking about, which is great. Yep. Anyway. Love you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we, uh, let's, um, do, let's talk about Meta a little let's bit. Let's move on. Um, so Meta let's reported their quarterly earnings, uh, long awaited, um, especially since uh, the stock's not had such a crash hot uh, year over the past 12 months. It's down quite a bit, I think 60 or so percent, maybe a little bit more. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, expectations were certainly... Um, uh, uh, numbed down a little bit over the past year or so, um, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of anticipation for this report. So, in terms of quarterly results, revenue came in at thirty two point two billion dollars, uh, which was down four percent year over year, uh, which was uh, to be expected. And they actually mm. beat on on revenue um, from what was expected in the quarter, but uh, was still down a year over year. Uh, in terms of kind of what drove revenue, um, so of course one of the you know the key drivers is of course um, how many users they have on their platforms. In terms of the Facebook and uh, Messenger platforms, they have two billion daily active users. They just passed the two billion mark, um, which is a you know which is massive, uh, which was up four percent year over year. Uh, monthly active users uh, for again Facebook and Messenger reached two point nine six billion, which was up two percent uh, year over year. And then in terms of the family of apps, so be, uh, including Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp, uh, it reached uh, on a daily basis two point nine six billion, which was up five percent. And monthly uh, monthly users for the family of apps was three point seven four billion, up four percent year over year, which is just astounding that they have 3 billion people that use it one is of their astounding. apps every single day, every single day. Um, yeah. And I think that, there's like, there's about globally, there's about just over 4 billion people who have access to the internet and uh, most uh, about almost a billion of those are in uh, China. So if, and Facebook doesn't operate in China. So if you remove people without the internet and people not in and people in China and just really Facebook's addressable market, which is people with the internet, ex China, mm. it's like they're in every. They're pretty much everyone's using them every single day, which is they've actually got then. But yeah, that's crazy. That 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 is properly crazy. Yeah, like it's that it's one thing to crazy. It's it's one thing to be like, oh, three billion out of nine billion, like that's pretty good. But it's really three billion out of like three point two billion. <laughs> if you're really like, yeah, if you're using every single day, which is just um, which is just astounding. Um, I feel like the monthly that is yeah. I feel like the monthly. I, I used to think. I mean, we we always talk about the daily and monthly users. I used to think the monthly users kind of meant something, but now I'm realizing it really doesn't. I mean, all you have to do is log in once. During the month, um, you can really be quite inactive. That's twelve times a yeah, year. Yeah, know? exactly. I mean, if if some one person message you messages you on Facebook Messenger and you reply to them, and that's all you did on Facebook's apps, you'd still be counted in that monthly user. So the monthly is probably not as relevant as the daily. Yeah. But the daily is incredibly impressive, nonetheless. Um, yeah. So then, in yeah, terms daily's of daily's where it's at, definitely daily is just insane. It it blows my mind. Like that is, yeah. Like you could say, you could say hello to your mum twelve times a year, yeah, and that, like literally to send one message each month saying hi mum, <laughs> and that's that's all to be counted into that monthly. But to be there every single day, logging in Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Instagram, that is mind blowing. Yeah, very mind blowing, crazy. Um, so then, yeah. So in terms of revenue, so revenue really comes from you can you can kind of look at it on two dimensions. One is how many ad impressions they serve, so how many ads they serve. Uh, and then the price per ad, and and Facebook gives they don't give these numbers, but they give uh, how these have grown over time. And ad impressions, of course, is going to be driven by a, a number of factors: how many users, how much engagement, uh, and then how many ads they choose to place, or the types of ads and where they place the ads. So there's all kind of a lot of factors that go into these two dimensions, but um, these are kind of the, the two levers that they can pull. 
So in terms of uh, ad impressions, uh, they increased 23% uh, in the fourth quarter or, or year over year um, during the fourth quarter. Uh, and then uh, in terms of the price per ad was down 22%. So that kind of gives you an explanation of why their revenue was down 4%. They had a 23% increase in the number of ads placed, but the price per ad dropped 22%. And if you kind of multiply those two changes together, you, you, you get to minus 4% overall in terms of revenue. Um, so essentially- So they went for the, sorry, so they went for the strategy of, um, of more real estate. Yeah. So yeah, essentially that they served more ads, but got paid less per ad. And again, there's so many factors that go into this. Um, and, you know, maybe yeah. you could say part of this is the uh, a shift in the advertising industry, potentially that Google has kind of faced a little bit as well. But I would imagine a large part of this is likely, and, and Facebook has said this as well, is, is this shift of the use of their platforms towards reels. So reels, they can yeah. put more at more, um, they can place ads more frequently. People are actually engaging through reels um, uh, and engaging yeah. with Facebook platforms more than they were before. So they're seeing more ads, but the ads generate far less revenue for, for clients. So the clients are willing to pay less. It's kind of a bidding system. So um, they, they bid less for those ads because they get less results. Um, it's just kind of a shift in the dynamic of their site. And this has been going on for a little while. And I think I didn't actually listen to the earnings call, uh, but someone messaged me and said that uh, on the earnings call, Zuckerberg uh, indicated that they think that the there's they, they've still got a way to go in terms of monetizing reels. Um, so they mm. think that while this dynamic is playing out in the short term where they're having a lot more impressions, but they're getting paid a lot less and the result is less revenue, they think that that will shift um, uh, more positively over time. Um, Hope so. It is a tough spot to be like that makes perfect sense how they're being able to show way more ads, but getting paid less. It's just more people are just flicking through reels. Yeah. Um, but I just don't... I. I don't understand how they make better monetization of reels. I mean, that's why I don't work for Facebook, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. but I just think it's always just going to be very low engagement on ads because it's so you just you you're there for a short hit. You're not looking for you're not looking for an ad. You're not looking to click and book your next holiday. You're not looking to buy a t-shirt. You're not looking to do whatever. Sign up to Adobe Creative Cloud or whatever. Mm. So I just feel like it's just. Whereas when you're scrolling through Facebook, sometimes you do shop, sometimes you check marketplace, sometimes you do interact with ads, that kind of thing. When you're just scrolling, you just that's just straight entertainment. Yeah. And as soon as you see, I don't know how your experience is, but as soon as you see an ad on a reel, on something that you're just flicking through, boom, it's gone in 0.1 of a second. <laughs> like I don't even, I don't yeah. even give them, give them, as soon as I realize that it's an ad, boom, gone. Yeah. Boom. Never even look, even, yeah. Maybe that's to do with maybe the ad targeting for me isn't good enough yet where I actually stick around. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some good ads, which kind of the, the best ads on reels are the ones that trick you into thinking you're watching a reel. <laughs> a reel. <laughs> and, and so exactly. you, you've watched 10 seconds of it before you realize it's an ad. Um, but it, it is just a completely different ad experience. Um, it, it's very different from television ads, which are quite a bit longer and, you know, maybe you're not really paying attention. You mute the ads because you know there's a long ad break. It's That's even different to YouTube where you're probably going to watch the ad, at least paying attention to it because you want to click the skip button. So you're actually like kind of paying yeah. attention to the ad. It, there's there's all these different... And then you've got, you know, search ads where you're actually searching for something. So it's actually giving you what you want. It's not an intrusive ad. Well, sometimes it is. But a lot of the time, if you're searching for clothing or whatever, it's putting you in front of big brands that are wanting to advertise for what you're searching for. So there's just all these different ad experiences. And yeah, they, they monetize at different rates. They have different effectiveness, uh, how effective they are. And and they, the frequency of how often they can be placed is, is different. So um, it will definitely mm. be an, an interesting dynamic to see, you know, how that plays out. Um, as I would imagine, more people spend less time on other parts of Instagram and other parts of Facebook and, and just more times in, in Reels. Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, uh, FX uh, currency exchange was a big impact uh, as it's, it's been with a lot of global businesses this year. Um, without the FX impact, revenue actually increased 2%. Um, so uh, they did have a, you know, a modest increase, um, 
without FX, uh, but with FX, they had a decline. Same with most businesses. In terms of the full year, revenue came in at $116.6 billion, which was down 1% year over year. Or if you remove FX, it was up 4%. Again, we can talk about ad impressions and price. So ad impressions were up 16, uh, sorry, 18%, uh, and the price per ad decreased 16%. Um, and then again, yeah, that results okay. in similar negative story. 1%. So very similar story, more ad impressions, uh, lower cost per ad. Uh, in terms of operating income, it came in at $28.9 billion, which was down 38% year over year. So mm, costs increased okay. by 23% in a year where revenue uh, wow. did not. Um yeah, Which is uh, yeah. <laughs> that's been the story of, uh, of of Meta over the last couple of years as they've pursued um, uh, uh, this uh, this this virtual reality uh, business. Yep. Um, and light your money on fire. Go do it. I dare you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, that's right. No. So th- there's a couple of there's a bit of a nuance here. So they had some restructuring costs, um, and some of these might be kind of mind blowing. So. Um, they had a $1.8 billion that they spent, um, uh, which is a one-off expense to consolidate their offices and facilities. So they went through a whole process of, they had too many office buildings. They'd leased out too many things. They, they're subleasing some things. They're, they're selling some land. Right. They're just doing a whole bunch of restructuring. Here's a massive yep. one. So we've heard a lot about the uh, the layoffs that a lot of these tech companies have been doing recently. And these layoffs aren't free. Mm. Um, they have to pay severance. Uh, and these tech companies have promised a lot of these staff big severance. Often often it's three months pay or, or something quite significant, uh, maybe even more than that. Yep. Um, so they laid off 11,000 people in the fourth quarter. Uh, well, actually, right. they laid them off in the, the first quarter, so we don't see it in the head count yet. But um, the restructuring cost was in the fourth quarter. They had one mm. billion dollars in severance that they paid to layoffs. One billion, which is enormous for, a, for like eleven thousand people. Yeah, so I, I believe that right? I believe that was for the eleven thousand. I believe so. Um, I'm not sure if there's wow. actually more than eleven thousand that they may have laid off in the fourth, probably in the combination yeah. of the fourth quarter and the first. I'm not actually sure. Um, but yeah, a billion. Otherwise, that's like ninety grand <laughs> per person. That's well, insane. That, is, but, that, is that what it comes out as? 90 grand? Well, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. That that wouldn't be that crazy because, yeah, it's pretty common for them to pay three months severance. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess 90 would be ninety would be kind of crazy. A lot of these 90, people 90 are highly would be paid like, at Meta as well. So that's the thing. Yeah. That a lot of be, these are like, yeah, very well paid, <laughs> very well paid tech, yeah. uh, tech people. Probably not um, 11,000 people are paid that high. So there's probably some so. other stuff in there. That would that be kind we, of crazy. But even still, yeah. just the fact that there's a billion dollars <laughs> in severance is like- It's mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. So it's- it's. Can I have a share of that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get laid off. Can I be a part of that? Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's something I hadn't really thought too much about with all of these layoffs. Is yeah, they're not free. It's not like they just get to lay people off. I think a lot of people just think, oh, they're laying people off. So from a business perspective, they got lower costs now. But it's like that's a you know, there's a big kind of um, there's a big cost if they have to do that. It's not like cost they just, everything. Yeah, it's not it's not free. Uh, without the restructuring costs, expenses still rose sixteen percent. Um, so not as bad as the 23, but still 16%. And it's mostly going to be related to R&D uh, for the metaverse, for uh, putting us uh, putting us into the digital world, um, which is not going all that great for them so far, um, which, you know, it's not expected to make money thus far. But no, yeah. uh, taking a look at their Reality Labs segment specifically, uh, they lost $13.7 billion in 2022, which is a little bit of money that they lost. <laughs> Um, just, a, just, a, just, a smidge. just a smidge, just a smidge. They lost. Um, here's a here's a stat for you. So they made seven hundred million in revenue in the fourth quarter from selling headsets, and they lost four point two billion. So seven hundred million wow. in revenue for five billion in expenses in a quarter. So uh, it's quite a lot to spend. That, um, you know, if you if you give me five billion dollars, yeah. I think I could get seven hundred million back. Um. <laughs> <laughs> interesting though I, i'm actually surprised that they sold 700 million dollars worth of headsets that's interesting yeah it's it's kind of sad I, d- I think it was like zero percent growth it was pretty much flat year over year um 
Oh, okay. Right, so it's been right, pretty right. similar. It'll be interesting to see because they just released a new headset, um, which is kind of a very premium headset, $1,500, uh, which came out in October, uh, so late in the fourth quarter. But that'll be interesting to see if that uh, if that has any kind of uh, drive in terms of this uh, business segment. But yeah, they'd have to sell a lot of headsets to, yeah. to make up um, $14 billion in losses a year. Um, that's a lot of headsets. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it just needs like just needs to find that core that core use case the core i think that's what it needs it just needs the core use case the vr headsets they need a core use case that's applicable to most people that's what they need to find that's what they really need to keep experimenting with hmm. and figure out what is what is the use what is the benefit the main benefit of using one of these things for most people and then they need to just find that and refine it and push it as hard as they can. Because even now, like, I think the main use for VR is either, I would say, uh, architecture and construction or video games. Yeah. It's a small, but it's a small subset of people. Yeah. I can understand, like, um, I can understand, for example, the technology where it connects to your phone or maybe it's its own device and you wear the glasses and it overlays information yeah. like look at the building this is you know new money headquarters this is Woolworths or it can display overlay a map so I need to get to like you know doing doing I need to get to um, Coles and it's like okay directing you to Coles and it has an mm. overlay of a map or so I think that could be very useful yeah. um, I like the idea of the the translation stuff where if you're talking to someone in a different language you get like a translation coming up but I think it just needs to find like what are, why are people going to use it yeah. why are people going to use it and it, it hasn't quite found that yet yeah it's it's um yeah I don't know I don't know it's it's very strange um because it's it is relatively expensive, and I don't think people really know. Or the, people don't really know what you can do with it. Uh, there's probably, I mean, if you bought one, yeah. you could probably find some a significant amount of stuff to use it for, especially if you work from home, um, that kind of thing. Uh, you probably get a good amount of use out of it. But people, there's just it's hard to bridge that gap um, as for people to understand yeah. whether they it's something they need, uh, especially when it's so expensive. And they just increased their regular quest pro headset by a hundred dollars um right so you know they're not getting cheaper which probably isn't going to help sales no yeah um so yeah that's that's um that's kind of where their business is at the moment but yeah i mean they're working on a lot of cool stuff and uh, i hope that the the billions of dollars they're putting to work is um is is going to kind of compound into a, a, a very rapid increase in technology um, I was I was talking to you about um, I, th- I think on the podcast how they they they've basically made this wristband now where you can control uh, the VR headset or a phone with basically your mind, <laughs> like you can just think about moving oh. your finger, and they that's something that is not going to come out for uh, commercially for probably a couple of years but you can look this up on on youtube if anyone's interested it's just like a little wristband and he was able to play games where you could swipe left and up and down um, just basically by thinking about moving his finger and it kind of detects the electrical pulse in your wrist so stuff like that is really cool and they're this is obviously what their money's going into so props to them Um, i'm not going to invest in the company but i'd love to see where this the billions of dollars are going (laughs) Um, yeah it's going to be really interesting yeah, I don't know. At what point? This is the question. At what point does Zuck either say, you know, what, this isn't working? What, or what? What point does he demand a business result from Metaverse? Or is he just going to run Facebook into the ground in pursuit of a Metaverse product or project just because he's super wealthy and, and he kind of likes the idea well, that- and he's just cocky <laughs> and he backs himself? Well, you that, know? That, that's the that's the bit that's so exciting for an outsider like me to watch because he owns all of the voting shares basically. So there's no yeah. one who could stop him. <laughs> yeah, which is which is really unique. Um, most companies, even yeah, if a, a founder owns thirty percent of the company, if he starts doing something like this, the other shareholders can get together and and force a change. Whereas this is a situation where nobody can can get him out. 
Um, so what Zuck wants, Zuck gets. Um, and yeah. I, I genuinely think he's going to, he w- is willing to spend every dollar to make this work, which I think is great because I, I believe in it long term. I don't know if he'll get there or what it looks like or the execution or anything like that or how much money it makes and whether it's worth sacrificing this hugely profitable uh, social media business. But um, yeah, I, I get the feeling that he he would much rather bet his legacy on this new business than to go down as the the guy who made Facebook, which a lot of people, you know, don't aren't a lot of people don't look at him favorably. It's a bit tainted for, anyway. Exactly for creating kind of this monster that has morphed into mm. um, everybody's lives. <laughs> Not that I think it's yeah. necessarily a bad business. That's just the perception from a lot of people, and I and maybe hundred oh, percent. Maybe Zuckerberg wants to kind of build something that um, that kind of goes in a different direction. Um, but we'll see, mm. I guess. Uh, they announced a $40 billion share buyback program, which is, uh, which is great. Um, so yes, that's okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. The, the, the thing is, though, they, uh, the stock's been down massive last year. And last year was the smallest share repurchase year. And I just wonder from a value investing perspective, why? Mm. Uh, why wasn't last year point. the year where you spent a huge amount on share repurchases while the stock was... $100 a share, $90 a share. Um, they actually mm-hmm. slowed them down significantly, um, which is uh, unfortunate. But they're going to ramp it back up, um, which, of course, investors were very happy about. And uh, and the stock was uh, up a lot, I think, this morning, 15% or something like that in after hours. This, and this is the thing with value investing. I mean, it's so important to watch your valuation because and not just invest just cause, like at whatever point. Because I'm looking at the stock chart now peaked at like $380 per share in September 2021, then fell, fell 76%. 76%. Hmm. November 2022 was down at $90 US per share. 90. Yeah. $90 US per share. And now, since then, I mean, it's still down. So from, from, from peak to where it is now, it's still down 60%. Hmm. It's down 60%. But from its bottom, it's up 68%. (laughs) Mm. So it's like, you know, it just makes makes a strong case for really, you know, taking advantage. Like if you're seeing a margin of safety there, just flip and grab it. And I mean, especially they've announced the buybacks now. So they were obviously, they're obviously willing to, repurchase stock it's one thing if they're not willing to because they want to save money to invest in other things but they're clearly willing to spend billions on share repurchases so why why do it now that the stock yeah you're right like it's off the bottom 60 something percent maybe yeah. more, a lot more than that now after including the after hours uh yeah like why yeah. why would they wait <laughs> i mean i was just talking generally about just gen- just general investors not even thinking about stock buybacks but yeah you're absolutely right, right. Yeah, why yeah. why did they yeah why did they not even just See, hey, look, hey, Mark, our, our stock's 90 US dollars per share. You want to like do a buyback? Mm. Uh, I'll think about it, maybe in a bit. <laughs> but even still, I mean, I, I haven't valued Facebook recently or Meta recently, but still down 60%. It's yeah. 153 USD per share. So they're probably not wasting money doing a buyback even now, even after the stock's gone up like 60 whatever percent. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly seen we'll see. as well a lot of what a lot of people predicted, which was that, you know, we had at the top of the S&P 500 these very profitable tech companies, but with huge growth expectations and very high stock prices. And, and for a long time, you know, 2017, 18, 19, I heard a lot of investors saying, you know, this basket of businesses can't grow like this forever. And we've really seen you know, that's really come full circle now. I mean, if you look at you know, Facebook's down mm. 70%, Netflix came off from its peak, I think 80 or something percent. If you went, you know, top to bottom, you know, Google's down 30%. So, you mm. know, they, these are big falls from the top. Oh, Tesla was up the top end of the S&P 500, um, yep. fell, yep. what, 70% as well, 60%. Um, yep. What else is up there? Microsoft is not down that much, maybe 25%. But yeah, I mean, looking back, mm we've really, at least so far, maybe there's more to come, but we've at least so far seen a, a, a large, you know, a massive decline in some massive businesses. And if you're looking at more unprofitable tech, 
then yeah, it's not uncommon to see 80, 90, 95% down, um, which is, which is, yeah, you know, mind blowing kind of looking back because yeah, we, we spoke about this quite a lot a few years ago as, as, as seeing, you know, these companies with 40, 50, 60 PEs and expected to grow at 50% per year. That's these huge expectations. Mm. Um, we've seen a lot of that come in. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting to watch. Mm. All right, Hamish, we best move on. Yes. My friend. What do you want to Best move on. Uh, I'm going to whiz through Eurozone inflation. Then I want to hear you talk about uh, the Fed. So we'll get the we'll get the inflationy interest rate macroeconomics yep. out of the way, the boring stuff. <laughs> it's actually so depressing that like the last year of this podcast has just been so macro. It's like that's really yeah. not what we're about, but it's no. just what's been happening. It's just what's been happening. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> anyway, Eurozone <coughs> inflation. It dips for the third straight oh. month. So this article says inflation in the Eurozone dropped for the third consecutive month. <laughs> Who would have thought? In January, uh, on the back of a significant fall in energy costs, headline inflation in the Eurozone came in at 8.5% in January, according to preliminary data released on Wednesday. In December, the rate was 9.2%. So we got 9.2 in December to 8.5 in January. Yep. So we're coming down. Mm. Um, energy remained the biggest cost driver in January, but once more softened from previous levels. Energy cha- uh, charges fell to an estimated uh, 17.2% in January, down from 25.5% in December. However, Charges, I think that changes. I think it changes. That's, I think that's a typo. Anyway, could be either, I guess. However, food costs <clears throat> rose slightly from 13.8% in December to 14.1% in January. Ooh. Okay. Uh, the 20 member region has gone through substantial price increases in 2022 after Russia's invasion of Ukraine pushed up energy and food costs across the block. However, um, the latest data provides further evidence that inflation has started to ease. Core inflation, which strips out energy and food costs, stood at 5.2% December, in line with the previous month. Quote, the key point is that core inflation was unchanged at a record 5.2%, so the ECB will remain very hawkish. Jack Allen Reynolds, senior Europe economist at Capital Economics, said via an email. The economic indicator is closely is being closely watched ahead of a new interest rate decision due out on Thursday, so literally tomorrow, uh, or it will have already happened by the time this goes out. Um, for from the European Central Bank, higher inflation has led the ECB to raise rates four times in 2022, and the market expectations uh, point to at least another two increases in the coming meetings. "Quote: The upshot is that larger than." Ex- then the la- sorry the upshot is that the larger than expected drop in headline inflation won't deter the ECB from raising rates by 50 basis points tomorrow alan reynolds said yes i, t- I would tend to agree with that market participants will be looking for clues on the central bank's next steps the main ecb rate is currently at 2% but market expectations suggest an increase to 3.5% by the end of the first 6 months of the year according to reuters so um there you go. Inflation's coming. Headline inflation's coming down. Core inflation's staying the same, and the ECB is raising rates. Any this, thoughts on that? I mean, it's just kind of <laughs> not really, but it's kind of crazy that their their inflation was at eleven percent just a few months ago, and the the central bank rate is at two percent. It's just like, yeah, I know. The, the disconnect between those two is mind blowing, and it is good to see that mm. it is kind of naturally coming off. The energy prices are improving. Um, it seems without really the need for the central bank to have done major interest rate increases. But yeah, it's uh, definitely a definitely a different story to other places around the world where you know, like the US was very quick on um on on their rate hikes, um, or at least relatively mm. to other places. Um, yeah. So yeah. And what is the US? Yes, uh, Fed funds right now in Drum a perfect roll. segue to what you were going to talk about. <laughs> yes, yeah, so they uh, the Fed raised. They had their uh, FOMC uh, meeting and uh, they raised uh, the rate by twenty five basis points, point two five percent, which was expected, which takes the range to four point five to four point seven five percent. It's the eighth increase since March of twenty twenty two, which was uh, what only uh, only ten months ago when the rate was point. 1%, 
which is crazy how quickly they've they've actually jacked up rates. Um, when you think of it like that, 10 mm. months, eight increases, it's almost at 5%. Uh, Powell said uh, inflation data received over the past three months show a welcoming reduction in the monthly pace of increases. He went on to say, and while uh, recent developments are encouraging, we will need a sus- we'll need sustain- uh, substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is a, on a sustained downward path. Uh, he said. Uh, he also said, we can now say, I think, for the first time that disinflationary process has started, while also noting uh, very premature to declare victory or to think that we really got this. Um, so right. again, he's kind of balancing his uh, his thoughts there, indicating that they're still going to be doing rate hikes. Um, uh, he said uh, it's possible that the funds rate could stay lower than 5%, but he also said it's unlikely that the Fed would cut rates this year unless inflation comes down more rapidly. So um, this kind of uh, hope for rate cuts later in the year, I think, looks pretty grim at the moment, <laughs> um, which is what the market kind of expects. But um we will see. Uh, definitely probably expect, I guess, another 0.25% rate hike next month to get them to 5%. And then from there, who, who really knows um, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And next week, we'll get uh, the RBA in Australia. will tell us what they're going to do. Oh. And considering our inflation is the nice. only one out of the major countries which is going up, uh, I think <laughs> we're probably going <laughs> to see a rate hike uh, that's probably 0.5% or higher. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy how so so many people, I mean, it makes sense, but just talking to people, like I went to a party and just like talking to people about interest rates because um, they, they were new home buyers and just some people just don't, they just don't know. Like they just don't follow, they just don't know what's happening with interest rates. They're like, oh yeah, you know, um, no, no, we think that uh, we think that that's probably it for interest rates. That's what the banker told us. So we signed up to this mortgage. No, I don't think the interest rates are going to go up anymore. It's like, really? <laughs> it's yeah. just crazy how a lot of people just don't don't really don't really you know know about the interest rates and inflation and what's going on at the moment. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it is interesting because I think sad. I think I think at a basic level, well, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with rates at all. But at a very basic level. With inflation where it is, and as long as it's above the target, you should expect the central bank to keep raising rates. That that should be the expectation. Maybe they don't. Like maybe maybe they don't. But if they don't, and you have a mortgage, then you don't. That's that's great. That's just good news. You should kind of be protecting against this downside, which is, you know, we've seen inflation stay stay sustainably high. It could continue to be sustainably high, which means every month we could continue to see. 0. 0.15, 0. 0.25, 0.5% rate hikes. And you can kind of plot that out over mm. the course of a year and, and see, um, you know, where we might be and, and what does that mean for your mortgage. And But yeah, that's like at the that's like kind of the bare, that's like the minimum you should should understand is that, yeah, inflation is still very high. Um, so there's mm. no, there should be no expectation that over the next few months, all of a sudden rates are going down or, or a flat, at least that, that would be kind of my understanding. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right, cool. Um, anything else? Oh, just very quickly. Uh, Trump is now allowed back on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, Meta will allow former President Donald Trump to return to Facebook and Instagram in the coming weeks. The company announced two years after his suspension was enacted following the 2021 insurrection at the US Capitol. Quote, as a general rule, we don't want to get uh, in the way of open public and democratic debate on Meta's platforms, especially in the context of elections in democratic societies. Um, like the United States. Nick Clegg, Meta's president of global affairs, wrote in a blog post announcing the decision. Quote, the public should be able to hear what their politicians are saying, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so that they can make informed choices at the ballot box. Mm. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Google-owned YouTube all made the unprecedented decision to block the sitting US president from their platforms at the time after they determined... uh, after they determined doing so outweighed the risk of potential further incitement to violence. The platform's moves varied in their degrees, however, with Twitter opting for a permanent ban and Facebook saying the suspension was temporary, eventually setting a timeline of two years before it reviewed the decision. Interesting. There you go, he's back. I think especially Mm -hmm. since, um, you know, his politics aside, which is, you know, a completely different issue to this, but uh, I think with him running, likely running for president, I think it makes sense. Like, I I think it, to me, it's kind of odd that you would have someone who's running banned off 
the social platforms that everyone accesses their news, basically. Um, to me, that's where I sit on it. Obviously, there's still rules. So, you know, I think, you you know, within reason. But, mm. uh, but yeah. It's I, difficult, I gen- isn't it? I generally agree with the idea that if someone's running, yeah, maybe what they're saying is is you you might think what they're saying is wrong or you might even think it's 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 really bad. But at the end of the day, mm. I think we should be able to hear those voices, especially the people who are going to be voting on these people. Um, and honestly, in mm. a lot of cases, if you just ban people, it kind of just riles up people to, you know, want to vote for them, I think, in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, like, I don't think yeah. it helps to block anyone's speech um, unless it goes no. way too far. That At least that's my kind of, I don't know, very general. Yeah, it is difficult because like... <laughs> No, no, no. I, th- I, th- I think what you say is correct. But there's also, yeah, there's also the case of you obviously want to keep your platforms clean and healthy and, uh, you know, not discriminatory. Yeah. But say a politician did say something discriminatory on one of their social media pages. I mean, that has a natural consequence. They're going to lose a lot of voters for that. Yeah. So it's all, it's there. I know that this is kind of a weird take. But there's also a case to be made, like what this guy Clegg is saying. Just allow, just let everything stand, yeah. because then the public can just see everything that happens. Yeah. And obviously, if one of them, you, know, you don't, you don't really want to leave like discriminatory stuff up. But if if you see that one of the politicians is just obviously just posting sexist or racist comments, let's say at the extreme, then obviously that if that stands and everybody gets to see it that's probably doing them more harm than good and they'll probably lose votes. And then yeah. maybe by banning them, that actually has that's actually a positive for them in the long run because more people won't actually see that stuff. So they won't yeah. know what that politician did. And yeah. then maybe they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I might vote for him. Why not? Well, I don't think he's done anything wrong or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm too it's optimistic. Weird. But it's I- hard to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like I like to think that people in the face of multiple opinions can come with come to a rational decision of but maybe I'm too optimistic. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> ay, 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 ay. You seen some of those like videos of like just rep- like smart reporters going around to Trump rallies just being like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And they're just letting the letting the trumpets just toot their horns. It just be like yeah. some of the stuff that they say. Yeah, well, it's like who- so discriminatory, and they don't even realize. Like they either don't yeah. care, which is probably more what it is, or they just don't even realize like that what they're saying. It's mm. just oh, yeah, and, and I mean dear. it. It, anyway. it definitely goes on both sides of politics. I can't remember exactly who it was, but there was someone doing a kind of a HBO documentary where, yeah, they went to these rallies and they, there's, there's a lot of that on YouTube, but they kind of put it into a HBO documentary and, uh, right. and, and that, yeah, they were going to Trump rallies, but also going to, to Democrat rallies and just finding the, the most like extreme people on both sides of just with these crazy ideas. Yeah. And it is just mind blowing <laughs> that, that these people exist. <laughs> like, it's just like, wow, you really think that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, how do you think that? Please stay away from yeah. the voting, voting um, booth. <laughs> yeah, cheese. Please don't exercise your right. No, we shouldn't say that. All right, let's do some <laughs> Q and A and let's round this thing out. We've got um, yes. we've got maybe five minutes or so. Let's let's okay. get through some uh, some Q and As. I'll uh, I'll ask you this one. <clears throat> uh, love sure. this show. Well, thank you. Uh, I know Brandon has thank been you. a Tesla shareholder for quite some time. I would love to hear how he goes about valuing the company. The more in-depth, the better. Thanks, guys. Okay, can you just give us like a two-hour um, kind of uh, keynote <laughs> on the valuation? Let's start, of start at the top. No. So I, I won't – I'm not going to go into numbers or anything like that. Um, I do want to start by saying, and this is something that's stake because I talk about Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Valley Investing, and Tesla doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And I do want to note that I bought Tesla in 2017. Okay, that's when I invested in the company. And at the time, I treated it as a speculative position. So 90% of the portfolio, you keep it in rock solid value, undervalued stocks, big moats, great management, margin of safety. And then 10%, I'm happy to just play around with, you know, or not even play around with. Like I don't buy things like Bitcoin and whatever, but just like 
still businesses. I still invest mm. in businesses, but maybe ones that don't quite. Oh, they have some yellow flags, you know. Yeah. And Tesla obviously back then had yellow flags. I think at the time I invested in it, it was at a market cap of fifty, roughly fifty billion. And um, even with all that's gone on today, it's still at a market cap of five hundred and seventy billion. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I, so I, I'm. I just. I just wanted to put that there, not saying like, oh, look at me or whatever, but yeah. just being like, I'm not someone that's been messing around with it for like the last three years when it's done like 15x and then it's crashed by 80 percent and now it's bounced by 20 percent. That yeah. wasn't me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I remember when you were buying at the time. We 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 spoke about it quite a bit, and uh, and um. Yeah, like I, I think at the time, like the company had like quite a little lot of debt, and there was large questions about their ability to finance their debt. So you've essentially been paid yep. for the fact that Tesla overcome overcame those challenges, um, and and you know, mass, and they they kind of met the huge expectations that were there for the company. Like props to them. Um, mm. Like there were massive expectations that they were going to get to a million vehicles at, at this time, mm-hmm. and they did it. Uh, and they yep. did it in an efficient way where they they're, they're now in they're very They've got a lot of cash uh, available to cover their debts, hmm. and yeah, and so that's yep. a very different kind of situation to, you know, where the stock's been at other times. Yep. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and now you can actually do a discounted cash flow analysis on Tesla. You actually can, which <laughs> we couldn't really do it very well before. Um, but I would say, for those that are going that are interested in valuing the company, I would say, please stay conservative. Um, because you know what Elon's like, and yes, we love him. Well, at least I do. Maybe you don't, but I love him because he's always optimistic. He's always thinking about the next thing. What can I do? You know, you know. I don't care what other people think. I want to build a humanoid ro- robot. I want to do self-driving cars. I love that he thinks like that. Mm. Um, but and uh, we got to acknowledge that a lot of these projects are a very, very long way away if they come to fruition at all. Being the realist, it's always good to be the realist, not the idealist. Yeah. Um, so I think the way to do it, if you want to be really conservative, and I know someone's going to comment, Tesla's not more than just a car company, but you just have to treat them like a car company. <laughs> so much. you just have to base your discounted cash flow analysis on vehicle sales not on full self-driving. You can do that. You can do that as like a, what could this be? But definitely the, the, the discounted cash flow that you would trust is you would pick your growth rate. That's just related to auto sales. Because when you look at that, that is right now, right now, when you just look, don't forget about what Elon said. You just look at the financial statements. That is their business. They just sell cars. Okay. Right now. Okay, don't don't at me, <laughs> please don't at me. Um, but that's so that's the way that I would do it. I, I would I would be conservative in in, in that respect. Yeah. Yep. What do you think? Um. Yeah, I would agree. I'd, I'd agree. I think you're right. I think that uh, it's it from the time you invested. I think, um, yeah, the situation is very different for the company. It's it's no longer at risk of bankruptcy. It's profitable now on a consistent basis. Yep. They're a very much more established car company globally as well um, than they were yep. five years ago, six years ago when you invested in the company. So a lot of the uncertainty has been reduced um, and, you know, the stock has run up because of that, <laughs> um, which is, you know, the, mm. so you being invested pre that um, is is kind of a big part of why you've, you've done so well in the stock. So yeah, going forward, I think, yeah, it is, it's going to be a lot about whether they do continue to match those massive expectations. They've done it for five or six years. And I mean, they've done it for much longer than that, but especially the last five or six years, the expectations have been huge. And now it's a question of, okay, does that continue? And um, it's not going to continue forever, uh, at least the auto part of the business. So yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's a difficult one to invest, uh, to, to assess. Um, I don't think it, I think every stock can be a value investment because, you know, theoretically you could, project a large enough growth rate if you can be very confident they'll achieve it i just don't know if you can get there with tesla with their mm. you know order with their um uh, there are other parts of the business that have not developved yet but yeah well yeah. It, it was, it's search, it's just fascinating to watch it's just one of those business i love watching same with meta like um, i'll happily yeah. watch and see how the metaverse plays out it's it's going to be interesting it's I, I i get behind the founder um not many people are doing that, putting billions of dollars into new industries. So it's, it is interesting to watch. Mm. The only thing I would just quickly say as well, 
Tesla in their earnings report guide 50% compound annual growth rate of vehicle deliveries for the foreseeable future. If you're doing a discounted cash flow analysis over a 10-year period, you're going to hold the stock for 10 years and you're going to sell it and it's going to grow. they're going to grow their cash flows at 50% annually. Hamish Hodder, would you use 50% growth for, 10, for a 10-year period? Yeah, I wouldn't use 50% for one year, but yeah, okay. <laughs> 50% over 10 years, that's, I don't even know what that is, but that's an enormous multiple in their earnings. Um, I, I don't even- Yes, I, mean, I think I, if you compounded that and you literally did 50% for like 10 years, they would basically own the entire earth. Yeah, it would be <laughs> like, a 60, you're talking about, you're talking about a 60x in their earnings, um, basically yeah. over 10 years, which is- you know, not, not many companies 60x their earnings over their lifetime. So, <laughs> mm. you're, you're, you're yeah. talking so about- say, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, one thing I'd say is for Tesla, don't use a growth rate of 50%. Please be more realistic. Please. 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 All right. I'm going to ask you this. Um, do, 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 I've lost it already. <laughs> That's handy. Ah, who do you think will- do, uh, who do you think will do generally better over a 40-year period? The investor that picks individual stocks but is never fully invested because they want to have funds available to purchase big dips, meaning they can have periods where they might be 80% cash. Or would the person that puts all their money, they can, each paycheck into an index fund, so 100% of their cash is always invested. I know there's a lot of factors, but generally speaking, if you had the first group compete against the second group, which investing style do you think will probably outperform over a 40-year period? Yeah, it's a good question. And I can say unequivocally that yeah. the the group of, uh, you could do this experiment many times and almost every time the group of index fund investors that are fully invested dollar cost averaging will beat the group of picking individual companies. And that's just because uh, the index will beat the vast, vast, vast majority that of people who are picking individual companies. I mean, even if you took yeah. people picking individual stocks being fully invested, um, which is, you know, most, most funds are fully invested, right? Even in that circumstance, you're not even talking about being in cash, then yeah, the index is going to beat most of those uh, most of those investors. So, yeah. yeah I mean, can I just say, I'll just say that with the stat just quickly, over the last 15 years, um, 89% of actively managed funds in America have not beaten the S&P 500. So, this go. is not just people like us, yeah. everyday Joe investors. This is the 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 professional money managers, 89% of them over a 15-year yeah. period haven't been able to beat the S&P 500. It's yeah. insane. And, yeah, and, and I'd probably argue, I mean, fund managers have some advantages and disadvantages. Um, they're, 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 they're limited in how they can move. They tend to kind of follow each other so that they don't stand out from the crowd. But they do have access to a lot more resources yeah. than us. So this, it's difficult to say if they're in a worse or a better position than an individual investor. I'd probably say slightly worse um, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, clearly... Yeah, clearly people beat the market by picking individual companies. And the, the, the market operates a lot of the time on emotion uh, and, and fluctuates from these periods of optimism to pessimism. We've seen it, especially over the last couple of years. So th there is the opportunity to do well, but the, there's, there's a lot of elements that go into it. Good valuation, good being able to assess businesses, temperament and, and discipline and, and patience is a big, you know, the psychological part of investing is massive. Charlie Munger talks a lot about that. So... It's very difficult, and most people won't, you know, won't do well doing it. So, you know, if you mm. if, certainly if you're not someone who has a passion for picking individual companies, then you know the, you can beat most people at, at at you know you'll beat most people who do have a passion for for picking individual companies just by buying the index. So, um, yeah, that's that's mm. like a that's 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 a that's case closed. Um, uh, that there's yep. not really there's there's tons of data on this already available. So. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. If you apply it just to a, a, like a group of people in the general population that are doing these two strategies, index wins every time. Yeah, you, you'd have yeah. to be you would have to be a standout, you know, uh, active investor to beat the index. Yeah. yeah. All right. And with that said, that will just about do us for today, guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, if you wanted to ask a question, um, just head over to the latest version of the YouTube the latest version of the podcast on YouTube and <laughs> drops a comment or you can leave a question in the Spotify um, question box and we'll chuck it in and probably get to it in the next few weeks. Um, but apart from that, thank you very much for joining me as always, Hamish. Always good right. to chat with you and I will see you on Saturday night at 
your place, which is <laughs> 25. No. <laughs> uh, dear, oh dear. Uh, no, that's, uh, but I'm looking forward to catching up. We'll have a couple of bevvies and have some food on Saturday night. It'll be yeah. good. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. That'll do us. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys. Thank you.